Well, as the, uh, the children find their seats, um, I'd just like to, to sort of take a moment to do a, a, just sort of a brief recap of, of what we have covered uh, so far this Easter season. Uh, in our, our Presence, Pardon, and, and Power series, what we have been discussing is really what is it that God has done in Jesus? And as we reflect on, on those central truths of, of what God has done and, and what Christ has done for us, we're reminded that in Christ, God has given us His presence. He's come to, to be here, present with us in the flesh. And He continues to be present with us through His Word and, and by the power of His Spirit. And, and as our eyes are drawn to that cross of Jesus, we're reminded that our God has pardoned us. He's pardoned us of, of the guilt that we bear. He's pardoned us of, of the shame that our sin brings us. And today and next week, what we reflect on is, is the way that the resurrection of Christ promises us the, the power of God. And, and I think that, that promise of God's power, it speaks to something uh, that is a, a pretty unifying experience for most of us. I think most of us, in, in one form or another, in, in the face of, of life and, and various life circumstances have and, and probably still regularly feel powerless in some way. I think most of us, we, we deal with our own weakness that, that often stares us in the face as, as we reflect on, on who we are, where we've been, and, and what life demands of us. That, that feeling of, of powerlessness for you... It might come when, when you think about those circumstances of your life and, and trying to manage all of the things that you've been given to do, your household, your work, uh, cleaning, cooking, doing all of those things of, of what it takes to just run your life from day to day. You maybe feel like you don't have the power to do those things. Uh, or maybe for you, it is this sense of powerlessness because of some temptation that you're facing. Some enticement to sin that you've dealt with over and over again. And no matter how hard you try or how hard you grit your teeth and, and exert your willpower, you just can't get away from that same trap, that same temptation, that same sin that comes up over and over again. Or maybe for you it's not so much those personal things in your life, but as you look at, at sort of the powers and, and the authorities of the world that so often abuse and enslaved and, and so often are filled with corruption, you look at those things and you're like, man, what am I to do? What am I to do in, in the face of, of all of these power structures that seem to exert so much control over the lives of individuals? Not just government, but, but large corporations that, that we're forced to buy and, and spend with. What am I supposed to do in the face of Amazon having basically all of my personal information? And sometimes we look at, at both those systems outside of us in the world and, and also those struggles that we have personally and we often feel weak. We, we feel powerless to lead the kind of lives that, that maybe we want to lead. We feel powerless to, to lead the kind of lives that God would have us lead. I know one thing that, or that often, I think, exhibits my own weakness. And it's, it's maybe a somewhat benign thing. 
is I am rather weak and powerless in the face of junk food. Uh, one in particular, uh, Doritos. Um, I love Doritos. Like, and thankfully, I have a wife who is far more health conscious than I am, who encourages my, my better judgments. And so they're not in the house very often. But if I am uh, at a, a get-together of, of some kind and there's a bag of open Doritos sitting on the table, I will very quickly probably make a meal out of those. And, and it's just sort of this thing that I see and I know it's bad for me. Like you read the label and it's like, I, don't, I can pronounce like four words in the ingredients. There, there's no way that's good for me. But yet, when I see them and I taste them and find how just delicious they are, I simply can't say no. And and I think that's actually a a very good picture of the way that that sin and temptation confronts us. So often there's those things in our life that, that we know they're bad for us. We know what God has said about them. We know the benefits and the blessing of, of seeking to live righteously. But then those sins pop up and, and we want to say no. We know we should say no, but we just can't. And we find ourselves returning to those same things over and over again. And in the face of those temptations, we find ourselves feeling utterly weak, utterly powerless. Well, our reading from, from Romans this morning, it, it speaks to that sense of powerless, powerlessness that we experience. And I think it invites us to ask ourselves is that when we feel this way in the face of sin and in the face of temptation or in the face of, of any of life's circumstances, what are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to just sort of settle? Say, ah, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm weak, I'm powerless in the face of, of sin and temptation. This is how it's always going to be. And so I'm just not really going to talk about it. I'm just going to just have this thing that's a part of my life and eventually Jesus will come back and He'll just fix it. Or, or maybe we're led to, to compromise or, or make excuses. To look at those things that are present in my life and say, you know what, I know what the Scriptures say. I know that God has told me to steer clear of, of this thing. But you know, times are different. The world has changed. Maybe it's really not that big of a deal after all. Do we just settle and, and resign ourselves to our weaknesses? Do we begin to make excuses or, or compromise our, our values and our judgments? Or is there perhaps a different way of being that we have been invited to? Listen again to to what Paul writes. He begins this this part of our reading with this rhetorical question. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now this rhetorical question, it comes up for Paul after he has just gone on this lengthy discussion about the way that, that righteousness in the sight of God, it comes not through adherence to the law, not through our obedience, not through our works, but it comes solely through the gift of faith and the grace that God has poured out for us in Jesus. You cannot make yourself righteous before God 
based on what you do. It is solely a gift that he has poured out through Jesus. And so then Paul responds in this next section saying, what shall we say then? Knowing that righteousness, knowing that our relationship with God is solely through grace, solely through Christ, do our sins not matter then? Are we supposed to, or are we just free to kind of live as we please, just continue to go on in our sin? Are we free to settle, make compromises, do whatever the flesh desires to do? After all, if I'm powerless in the face of sin and temptation, maybe it's not that big of a deal after all. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And Paul answers the rhetorical question in verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Should we continue sinning so God can just pour out more forgiveness? Paul's answer is absolutely not. And the reason is that when you were baptized into Jesus, something very real happened. When you were baptized into Jesus, you were actually baptized into His death. You were joined with Him on the cross, baptized into His death, buried with Him in the tomb, so that you would be raised again from the dead. Your baptism was not just a mere remembrance of what Christ has done. It is not just some sign or symbol, but it is an eternal joining to Christ. A joining to His death. A joining to His resurrection. And therefore, when you are raised with Him, you are raised not to return to sin, not to return to death. But you are raised to walk with Him in newness of life. Just remember, I I had a, a professor at seminary who, in our confessions class as we were talking about baptism, he always used to love to say that in baptism, sinners get what they deserve. Maybe that's an odd-sounding statement, but his point is, is that in baptism, something very real happens. In baptism, sinners get death. That, That is what the Scriptures teach, that in baptism, there is a very real death that occurs. But because that death is with Christ, we also get something we don't deserve. We get to be raised with Jesus. One day raised eternally, but right now even a taste of that resurrection exists in our life. We are raised in the power of Christ's resurrection. And He continues to live with you and through you. And He is the one who empowers us to walk in newness of life. Now Paul continues on providing some of his reasoning here. He says in verse 5, If we have been united with Him in a death like His, 
we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we, had di- if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's reasoning here, it goes something like this. That when Jesus died... His death was a death to sin. Though he had no sin of his own, he died once for all, and that was a death to sin. And when he rose victorious over sin and over death, that means that death and sin no longer have power, no longer have dominion over him. And you in your baptism have been joined to that event. So just as Christ died and rose again, so too you have. So too you have died and risen with Jesus. And just as sin and death have no power over Jesus, it has no power over you. That is the promise that Paul makes to us here. Since you have died and risen with Jesus... Since He has disarmed sin and death and all of its power once and for all, sin is not your master anymore. It does not enslave you. But rather now, Jesus is your master and life is possible. And so just as Jesus has died and risen, so too you and I and all who believe and are baptized with Him are called to count ourselves dead to sin, and alive to God. Which means that we are called to live and be different. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin no longer has dominion over you, and so therefore we are called to present ourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. We are called to forsake those old ways of of sin and death, We are called to live as those who have been set free from sin for life, for God, for worship and praise and honor of Him. In other words, we are not powerless. We are not powerless against sin and temptation. We are not powerless against those circumstances in our life that that just seek to consume us and control us But you are raised in the very power of Christ's resurrection. 
And so all of those things that you may feel powerless against, you're not. You're not actually powerless against those things that seek to control you and enslave you. So so perhaps for you, it's maybe pornography or or other sexual sin that just seeks to control you and enslave you and seems to be around at every corner. You are not powerless against that because you have been raised in the power of Christ and His resurrection. Or, Or maybe there are relationships that you have just destroyed beyond repair. And you look at that and you maybe even recognize your own fault in it. And you look at that and you think, there's no way that is going to be healed. There's nothing that I could do to repair that. I'm powerless to do anything about that. That's not actually true. Because you are one who has been raised in the power of Christ's resurrection. And that reconciliation that God has accomplished through Jesus, He is now accomplishing in and through you. And so He can certainly repair and restore those relationships. Because on your own you may be powerless, but in Christ, your baptism into Him and His resurrection, you are filled with that power, that strength. Maybe for you it's covetousness and envy. You look at the lives of others and, and you just you wish that you could have it for yourself. And you think that, man, unless my circumstances change, and unless something is different, I'm always going to be miserable, always unhappy, always wanting what someone else has. And you feel that in that in the midst of that, the circumstances in your life, you're powerless against them. You're not. You're not powerless against those things. And that's not saying that God is somehow going to pour out rich, abundant, material blessings. But you're not powerless against those things because He has poured out so much more than that in Jesus. He has poured out His gifts, His blessings, His promise of resurrection to eternal life and inheritance in His kingdom. He invites you to long for the things of God not the things of this world. So in the power of Christ's resurrection, we don't have to remain captive to envy and covetousness. We don't have to remain captive to materialism and the notion that if we spend more and have more, we'll be happier. Because in Jesus, God has poured out the only thing that you and I need. He's made us His own children. He's brought us into His kingdom. And He has filled us with the power of Christ and His resurrection. Whatever you face, whatever the circumstances of your life are, you do not face them in weakness. You face them in the promise that Christ is with you. He dwells in you. You have been buried and raised with Him. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Your life is lived with the promise that Christ dwells in you. Paul says essentially the same thing as we continue in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. In your baptism, you have been joined to Jesus. His Spirit dwells in you and by the power of that Spirit, the resurrected Jesus is with you, strengthening you, empowering you, calling you to be the people of God and live as He has created you to live. Not returning to sin, which is death, but instead presenting yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. It's not up to you to simply grit your teeth and try harder, but rather it is Christ, His power, His strength, His victory that enables you to be who God has called you to be. One of my my favorite quotes uh, on the promise of of baptism and and the power of the resurrection that baptism offers us comes from N.T. Wright in, in Surprised by Hope as he talks about the way that baptism and Easter go hand in hand. He says, In the simple but powerful action of plunging someone into the water in the name of the triune God, there is a real dying to the old creation and a real rising into the new. With all the dangerous privileges and responsibilities that then accompany the new life as it sets out in the as yet unredeemed world. Baptism is not magic, a conjuring trick with water, but neither is it simply a visual aid. It is one of the points established by Jesus himself where heaven and earth interlock, where new creation, resurrection life appears within the midst of the old. The idea of associating baptism with Easter always was and still is a proper Christian instinct. Just as for many Christians, the truth of Easter is something they glimpse occasionally. Rather than grasp and act on, so for many, baptism remains in the background, out of sight. Whereas it should always be the foundational event for all serious Christian living. All dying to sin and coming alive with Christ. You know, one of the things that that I think we're often guilty of as as Lutherans is is we can never get past that idea that I am nothing more than a poor, miserable sinner. We we confess week after week and and that has this way of of sort of getting into us. And and after all, that, that is a true statement. You are, even in the midst of that resurrection life you have been invited to, Still a poor, miserable sinner. Some of you more miserable than others. But that is not the only thing that is true about you. That is not the only thing that is true about us as the people of God. And we as people who love and value baptism, perhaps more than any other, should be the first to recognize that. Yes, we're sinful. Yes, we're broken. Yes, on our own, we're weak. We are powerless against sin and temptation. But here's the other truth. We're never on our own. Because in Christ, the resurrection has invaded this old broken world. In your baptism, heaven and earth, that heaven and earth that will one day be united eternally is right now united in you. 
you and I and, and all the people of God as we live as His people. We are the place where that resurrection is made known. We are the place where God's future plans and purposes are realized right now in the midst of this broken world. Because we are people who are empowered by the resurrection of Jesus. Empowered to live differently. Empowered to live in righteousness and holiness. Because baptism is a real present power for you. It's not something that just dwells in your background, something that happened when you were a baby. But it's the truth that you exist in every single day, that you are always, now and forever, joined to Jesus, His death and His resurrection. So people of God, let us go forth and live in that resurrection. Let us live declaring that we have been raised with Jesus. Just as we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Let us go forth knowing that we are empowered by the strength of His resurrection. Let us go forth as we live in the places that God has called us to. And let us be the sign of what God has done. The sign that God has come And He has risen from the dead. And in that resurrection, He has redeemed and restored all things. Let us go forth and let us live as people who embody, people who live the strength and the power of Christ's resurrection. Amen? Amen.